the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hello, my friends, and an early wishing you, because theoretically I would be wishing you at the end of the show a happy Thanksgiving. So talking about a happy Thanksgiving, I saw, I don't know if it was the Wall Street Journal, I don't remember which, but it doesn't matter. I saw a list of the problem topics <laughs> that people will have at their Thanksgiving meal. And I'd, I'd like to hear from you uh, in that regard. So, guess what the number one conflict that you saw it? Yes. Oh, so of course you'll know. Yeah. Uh, where was it? You, you also don't remember? Yeah, it wasn't in the <laughs> It was or wasn't? Okay. Anyway, so I I thought the number one topic of possible conflict at your Thanksgiving table would be politics. And that was number two. Number one was... Uh, now, oh, okay, you got you're guessing Israel Hamas. That that's that I guess that would be under uh, politics. So even though Israel Hamas is lumped under politics, politics was still only number two. Number one, family issues. One eight Prager seven seven six eight seven seven two four three triple seven six. That was the number one problem area. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, families together. Yeah. Family. No, no, it makes sense. But does it resonate in your experience? No. I, I think. <laughs> I don't remember the last time. I, I'm sorry to say, but it just is, it is the way it is because I, I did leave my family when I was 25 years old and went almost 3,000 miles away from the New York, New Jersey area to California. So I don't recall the last time I had a Thanksgiving with my family, my wife's family, uh, we do, and there was zero family uh, issue. And we wouldn't have had family issues, even though that doesn't deny that we were a normal family with issues. But Nobody would have wanted to raise it at the Thanksgiving table. Yeah. That's what puzzled me when I read it. Yeah, I agree. You agree with me? You, you, you. 
That's why I didn't say that. You're going to complain about your mother at the Thanksgiving table? <laughs> so if you resonate to that issue or any any of the others, let's put it this way. Are you dreading in some way your Thanksgiving meal with family? It's very sad. It's not quite the Norman Rockwell painting, is it? Of the happy family, mom bringing the turkey to the table. Talking about turkey, did you read, what was it, at one of the uh, upscale supermarkets? A turkey was was $100? Did you, did you, did you read that? That's, it was very hard for me to uh, wrap my head around. The number one issue is family issues. That that a family, to me anyway, a, a family can't keep it under wraps for one meal. That was what, like 58% of, of, of people were troubled by that. I, I found that remarkable. It's hard for me to even uh, picture what happens. Somebody raises an issue that he or she has with somebody else in the family at the Thanksgiving table. I'd love to know how that even occurs. If if that is something you've experienced, I would really love to hear from you. I'm trying to understand, and and actually I'm trying to make your Thanksgiving a, a happier one. I'm trying to make your Thanksgiving a happier one by uh, noting these issues. Then I'd, I also even wonder, so I, I guess politics is inevitable. I think the way, uh, the, the way around politics and family issues. Oh, and money. M- money was what? Money was number three? Did, I can't relate to that. Money issues at the Thanksgiving table? You you oh really you didn't you didn't think it was accurate? It didn't make any sense. Well, that's why I'm asking people to call. The, if if you folks resonate, what are the issues that are raised at your Thanksgiving table? Well, that in, in case you dread uh, any of that happening. One eight Prager seven seven six. Maybe uh, maybe my listeners don't have these issues at their table. I don't know. People, people. That this is a good example of having to work on happiness. What do you do then at the table? You talk about your lives. You know, so uh, unless that is a source of conflict as well, just talk about how about this. What are you thankful for? Maybe structured. In some ways, a non-spontaneous talking would would be helpful. What are you thankful for? Wouldn't that be an interesting time taker, taker-upper? What are you thankful for? 
No, okay, that that you're making it complex. Then you have to think about who you're whom you're thankful to. Okay. You don't even have to raise that. Just being thankful. That would be a wonderful thing for the young people at the table to witness as well. People going around the table actually saying what they're thankful for. You know how good that is for kids? Because they're not raised to be thankful. They're raised in a culture of complaint. I don't have this opportunity. I don't have that. The the society has it in for me because X or Y or Z. Yes, well, once you start with the pilgrims and the Indians, you're doomed. (laughs) I'm sorry to say, I I can do it at my table because my wife's family is completely in sync with, with my wife's and my values. And that way, I'm I'm very lucky. My own family would be more liberal, though not leftist. And but uh, they're they're very far away. Being on the other coast. Well, family is where people are tested a great deal. You pick your friends, so there's not much testing, but you're given relatives. And as a result, you have to learn how to deal with people you wouldn't normally choose to be with. That's the, I have a funny take on the biblical law, love the stranger, and that it really applies to your family. (laughs) So in so many ways, family, immediate or extended, uh, consists of strangers, people that are very different from us, and so it it actually helps you develop your character. Okay, let's go to Everett in uh, in Tampa, Florida. Hello, Everett. Dennis, how are you? I'm really well, thank you. Oh, you're my favorite guy on the radio. You're halfway sensible, and you make me laugh, and you're always sincere in your thoughts. Well, that's very kind. But when it comes to the family, let's just say it ain't the dressing that makes them crazy. It's the alcohol. I didn't think of that. It's a good oh, point. Oh, my God. You get, you get them started, and we just sit back and go, okay, who's going to pick on who first? Uh, but it's kind of fun, you know? Yeah, sounds like kind of fun. Yeah, <laughs> that's see, the, that's why. That's the essence of fun. <laughs> Who's going to take on who first? <laughs> my friends, I want to tell you about one of the most influential books of my life. In fact, it's on my list of the 10 books that most influenced me. And it's just been re released George Gilder's Men and Marriage. George Gilder has been clear about the stakes for the family since 1974. Fifty years later, the need of the hour remains. Men who take responsibility for themselves, men who love their wives, men who raise their own children, men who tackle the workforce, motivated by their family and the needs of others. Without fathers, our civilization will simply sink back into the Stone Age. We need to bring dads back or else. 
Get your copy of George Gilder's classic book, Men and Marriage, today at dadsareback.com. Civilization is built by men with families to feed. Yep, without the dads, we're toast. Get George Gilder's book at dadsareback.com. Whenever I'm down, I Talking about uh, the issues uh, that uh, can, uh, can affect you. Uh, in your family uh, dinner that adversely affects the dinner. The, what I saw, the, the number one problem is family issues, number two, politics, and then down the list, oh, then I, then money, then religion. That's an interesting question. What religious controversy would there be at a Thanksgiving table? No, I don't think so. Should you thank God? Who, so okay, let's say I say okay. L- let us say let us say an opening prayer. And I have my son-in-law is an atheist. So if my son-in-law is decent, he shuts up. I mean, it, it, it's so it's so obvious. What is he going to say? I, I I object. I'm I'm leaving the table while you make the prayer. Uh, uh, you know, I'm a believing Jew, and I am with Christians so often, and almost always a prayer at the table or or for the audience ends in the name of Jesus. So the prayer is beautiful. I mean, it, 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 we have a culture of narcissism. I mean, I'm imagining that that's the issue. But what what other religious issue? Okay, so again, my son-in-law is atheist. I believe in God. So, and then what? Then we have a fight. So, I mean, I'm saying maybe that list is not ra- accurate. Maybe it is. I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. But I think that the uh, the last caller ha- has a point. That since I'm not a drinker, I don't. Relate to, but he's uh, it doesn't matter because theoretically at the table there could be people who get inebriated and then the the tongue loosens when the drinking begins. That I can see as an issue. And what are you going to do? Deprive somebody of drinking? An an, an adult guy's forty five, fifty five, sixty five years old, or the woman? So, you know, you've had too much to drink. Uh, that I could see as a toughie. All right, let's see here. Uh, here we go. Okay, Dan in Denver. Hello. Hello, Dennis. How are you? Thank you. Well. Very good. Um, well, yeah, I'm not surprised at all. I, I, I think you're just having trouble reconciling your normal Norman Rockwell picture with the average <laughs> American family out yeah. there. Oh, that, uh, that's sad. Uh, yeah, and uh, because, yes, uh, when you have family involved, you know, family knows how to push buttons because they installed them. And, and it's not hard to start pushing the buttons. And then, yes, you add alcohol and uh, it's a very stressful time for a lot of people, and it doesn't take much for a spark to fly. And uh, so, are you speaking from that. experience? Oh yeah, yeah. One of the most 
stressful times in 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 a dysfunctional family as the holidays. Wow. So mm-hmm. this happened, for example, just last year? Oh, no. No, just uh, growing up. You know, grew up in a big, big family. and. Uh, so why and, isn't it happening anymore? Uh, well, because normally I do Thanksgiving small now. Uh, you know, just sometimes I just go out to dinner. Uh, you know, With so whom? I haven't been, With whom? Uh, if, uh, close friends or, or, you know, family member. Uh, you know, whether I take my son out or, you know, somebody like that, it's just small now. I don't, I don't do a big family tradition. Um, was that a rupture in the family that it no longer got together for Thanksgiving? Well, we all got married and went our different ways, you know, and so uh, it, 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 it evolved naturally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're probably relieved. Oh yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely, but yes, uh, Thanksgiving was a very stressful time, and uh, and same thing with Christmas. Yep. Uh huh. Uh huh. Very stressful. So you're very very happy. You you were happy on December 26th. It's over. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Oh my God, he might be right, and I plead guilty. I'm so realistic, as I think many of you have would acknowledge. But I, I also, I do keep in my mind positive, one might even say romantic, which I'm not a fan of. I, I like romance, but I'm not, romantic doesn't mean romance. Romantic means some idealized picture. So I, I probably do have a Rockwellian view of Thanksgiving. For those of you who don't know Norman Rockwell, which only means you went to college and don't know one of the greatest painters in American history, he, he, he was a national name. He's a household name in his time. It was in the 50s was his heyday, would you say? You should look up his paintings. It gives you a, a romantic image. And and not far from the reality for a fair number of Americans, certainly not all Americans. Put in Norman Rockwell Thanksgiving and see what I mean. The, the painting he drew for that. Minneapolis and Carlos, hello. Hey, Dennis, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Hey, I just, you know, you were talking about family issues at Thanksgiving, and I just wanted to give you a more positive spin on that. Um, you know, just real quick, you know, my I have uh, four siblings. I'm the youngest of four. And you No, know, wait, 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 up, wait, wait. If you have four siblings, you're the youngest of five. I'm sorry, I'm the youngest of five. <laughs> yeah. Well, I grew up in public school, so my math isn't that great. Oh, that, okay, that's fair. <laughs> Okay. So, uh, you know, we grew up and we all went our separate ways. And, you know, I can't remember the last time we had a Thanksgiving together, all of us. Um, So we kind of split apart. There was a lot of animosity and hatred in our family because of things that happened. You know, welcome to America. We're a dysfunctional family. Um, 
Hold okay. on there. I ha- I'm going to ask you why you said welcome to America, dysfunctional family. That- that's an interesting thought. Back in a moment. Gold dealers are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere. What sets these companies apart and whom can you really trust? This is Dennis Prager for AmFed Coin and Bullion. My choice for buying precious metals. When you buy precious metals, it's imperative that you buy from a trustworthy and transparent dealer that protects your best interests. So many companies use gimmicks to take advantage of inexperienced gold and silver buyers. Be cautious of brokers offering free gold and silver or brokers that want to sell you overpriced collectible coins, claiming they appreciate more than gold and silver. What about hidden commissions and huge markups? Nick Grovich and his team at AmFed always have your back. I trust this man. That's why I mentioned him by name. Nick's been in this industry over 42 years, and he's proud of providing transparency and fair pricing to build trusted relationships. If you're interested in buying or selling, call Nick Grovich and his team at AmFed Coin and Bullion, 800-221-7694, AmericanFederal.com, AmericanFederal.com. All right, now, where were we? Was I speak? Yes, Carlos, correct? Yeah. Okay, so Carlos, what does that mean? Were you, were you joking around? Your family came to America and, and, and became dysfunctional? It was functional no. beforehand? <laughs> no, Dennis, we were all born in the United States, but what I was referring to is, is I deal with this constantly. I'm in, uh, I'm in social services, human services. You know, the enemy to our soul has been working overtime since the 60s to separate families, parents from their children, fathers from their children. You know, we have abortion clinics. We have schools taking children from their parents. And, you know, we have court systems that won't allow fathers to see their children except for maybe a day or two a month. You know, and that creates dysfunction in the family from the very beginning. So that all of this stuff wrapped together affected my family. And, you know, we... we you know, we, there was an animosity created, and, you know, like typical Americans, we, we did the competition thing, and we moved our separate ways, and we did our own thing, and for many decades, we didn't see each other or talk to each other. Really? So about three, yeah. So about three years ago, Dennis, this is what I wanted to tell you. About three years ago, I called my siblings, and I said, hey, it's mom's 80th birthday. We're all getting together in Iowa and we're going we're gonna to honor mom because she's the matriarch of the family. She's the oldest living relative now. And I, it was funny, Dennis, because we were still in fighting, and the only ones that showed up were the men, the men and their sons. They're the only, there were no women there except for my mom. It was, it was crazy. But I started, you know, talking to my siblings about uh, forgiveness and how that's the key that begins healing and restoration of the family unit. And, uh, you know, slowly but surely, I started getting them to agree to get together. Last Thanksgiving at my sister's house in, in Colorado, you know, I got, uh, you know, my brother and my nieces and everybody together, and my mom was there, and, you know, there was a lot of healing that took place. Well, that, that's a beautiful story. I salute you. God. I have noted often and I do in my commentary on the book of Genesis. I have commentary, one on Genesis, one on Exodus, one on Deuteronomy. Book of Numbers is coming out next year, and then I have Leviticus, and I've done the entire five books of Moses. And in Genesis, I note, it's sort of a gift. 
if you from Moses, from God, from whomever you are, believe is the author ultimately of those five books, that every family in the book of Genesis is dysfunctional, starting with Adam and Eve. After all, one son kills the other. You don't get much more dysfunctional than that. Maybe it's the Bible's way of saying, listen, you know, it's normal. Sad to say, dysfunctional family in some ways is normal. Uh, where is the guy who, uh, oh yeah, this is good. Brentwood, California. John, hello. Hi, Dennis. How are you? Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Yeah, I was telling your screener that uh, I was in the business, beer business, for 43 years, and it was uh, kind of an unwritten rule, but uh, we always think of uh, beer holidays, if you will, of St. Patrick's Day and Cinco de Mayo, but all the way across the board, the number one day for beer sales is the day before Thanksgiving, and that's today. So if you think about it, all these, these uh, you people see, are... this is what I mean. I learned so much from callers. Uh, I don't know if anybody not in the beer industry would have would have guessed that. I think most people, I, if you'd have asked me, I think I would have said the day before New Year's. I associate New Year's with getting drunk. Right. Well, see, beer is a little different. You know, beer is not necessarily a, a New Year's uh, uh, libation. Oh, like really? That. Oh, <laughs> That's interesting. You're learning a lot. <laughs> Are you, you're a darn student. I am. Oh, well, listen, I'm grateful for your call. The day before Thanksgiving was the biggest day of the year in the beer industry. Well, how many people would show up if you announced we're not serving alcohol this year? Back in a moment. What are the uh, issues at your Thanksgiving table? Uh, does anybody have a happy Thanksgiving table with family? I'm not being cute. I have to believe so, but I guess they're not calling in. Hmm. Calvin in Richardson, Texas. Interesting, there are no women calling in. One woman, wow. Hi, Calvin. <laughs> Hi, Dennis. How are you today? Happy oh, Thanksgiving. Thank you. <laughs> yes, Dennis. So I was calling in to say <laughs> religion does come up at the Thanksgiving table. I actually had a relative get up from the table and walk away as I started to give the Thanksgiving prayer over the turkey. Wow. Couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Wow. What? Tell me, was it a male or female? It was a female, and uh, she was the fiancé of a nephew. And uh, the funny thing is she grew up in a religious household. Her father was actually a Protestant minister. So this was the fiancé of your nephew? Yes. Did they end up getting married? Yes, they did. How and but, how is the marriage working out? Uh, well, they seem to be making it work. Uh, I haven't heard any issues. This has been several ha, have years. Have you now. been? Have you been at another Thanksgiving dinner with her? 
Yes, and she does the same thing every single time. But you'll like this. <laughs> she does the same thing she, every single time. Yeah. When she comes back into the room, I say, "Oh, and yes, God, please pay for her soul." <laughs> Yeah, well, that'll work. I, that, that's charming. I, I I would so love to speak to her. Oh, I I want to yeah, understand. I, I, I want to understand. I understand the feeling. She's she obviously is angry at her father, and and takes mm-hmm. it out on religion. Okay, I, I get that. I don't understand though why it's offensive to her that you or someone at the table makes a prayer, or we're talking about 60 seconds on average, maybe 90 seconds. Oh, I've learned a long time ago to keep it short or you lose a finger. (laughs) But what is your your nephew think? He's kind of a go-along-to-get-along kind of person. Yeah, okay, yeah. He's very smart. She's also very smart, and uh, she's she's one of those that was... Affected by college education. Oh, how sad. It's mind-blowing to me. God, as I, I mean, as I alluded to earlier, if I walked out every time there was a prayer said that wasn't my prayer, or if I was an atheist that any prayer was said, period, I, mean, I wouldn't stay very often. Doesn't she believe in diversity and inclusion? <laughs> They're phonies. It's diversity. If I like the diversity, if I, but not diversity, really. God, she gets up and walks out every time. Whew. Okay. This is fascinating, to say the least. Uh, is it? How do you pronounce your name in in Los Angeles? Kaylee? It's Callie, like California. Ka- oh, nice. Hi. Yeah, hi. Um, so I don't believe it's any particular topic uh, that's an issue. I think it's more of childhood traumas piled up generation after generation where each parent ends up repeating their childhood. Good enough for me, it's good enough for you, kid mentality. And then they all convene under one roof once or twice a year, and those childhood traumas are immediately triggered by any topic. Wow. Could you give an example? Uh, Yeah, for instance, a... the dad is overly controlling and never approves and the child now adult man um, stands up to say something that he has an opinion on of any topic and the dad shuts him down because you know your opinion is not good enough because it doesn't align with mine now the son is offended because he's a man and he should have his own opinion and it goes on and on and on and the children are witnessing this as well I'm quiet because I'm just digesting the non or Norman Rockwell aspect of your dinner. So it's an interesting question. Why does the family get together for Thanksgiving if they know it's going to be a tough time? It falls under meeting expectations. 
you're expected mm-hmm. to show. Yeah. You all, you, you, all, show, you all live in the same city? Talked about. Uh-huh. Uh, no. no. So, I, my particular family dynamic, I, it's been on a road of healing. I've done a lot of psychological development within myself, trying to make sure I didn't repeat with my own children. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and so that required a lot of healing for myself. And that required a lot of... Where will, the th- where, where will the Thanksgiving meal be tomorrow? It's split up. My sister's in Arizona, and my mom drove out there. My brother lives an hour away, but he decided to stay home this year. So it'll just be me, a family friend, with my husband and children. And where is dad? Is he passed away? Yeah, he just passed. Did the son who he controlled... Did, did he oh, mourn no, is, dad's passing? This was actually, I was discussing my grandpa situation. Oh. My dad oh. was a minister. He was a reverend. Oh. Well, it doesn't mean and he so can't I be was, controlling, but yeah. He, no, so he was a he good was, guy? He was the epitome of what you are to be as a Christian, to be like. Wow. So then why was, was there tension at the table? At our table? It passed down to my mom's side. Oh. And so oh, yeah. <laughs> she com- wasn't controlling. You, you com- she wasn't controlling, yeah. but she had opinions. And so when her and her siblings get together, those opinions always differ. I see. Beautiful. <laughs> oh, God. The human condition. Mike Lindell has a passion to help you get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop at the pillow. Mike also created the Giza Dream bed sheets. These sheets look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep, which is crucial for overall health. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's latest deal is the sale of the year for a limited time. You'll receive 50% off the Giza Dream Sheets, marking prices down as low as $29.98, depending on the size. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Podcasts Square, and use the promo code Prager. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow 2.0 mattress topper, MyPillow kitchen towel sets, and so much more. Call 800-761-6302 or go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code Prager. This is the male-female hour every Wednesday, the second hour. I figured this time we'll make it a little light, although it might have heavy aspects, and I mean that. Since it's Thanksgiving tomorrow, I thought I would talk about male, female, and Thanksgiving. So there are a number of issues. First, do you think, or is there in your case, a division of enjoyment of the holiday? Does the husband or the wife, the man, or the woman, like it more or like it less? Do you both have the similar reaction to to the holiday? Perhaps more urgently, does one of you do a lot more work than the other in making the holiday possible? Usually it's the woman, not always, but usually it is. How do you feel about that? So let me give you a great line from my late mom preparing for Passover one year 
And let me tell you, if you think Thanksgiving dinner's difficult, you try seven days of special eating for Passover, and especially for those who have two seders, the Passover seder, two of them. It is enormous work. And my mother looked at me once on the eve of Passover and said, Dennis, only the men got out of Egypt. Which is a really good line on my mother's part. Wasn't it? That's that's precious. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was enormous amount of work. So if you're the woman and you do that enormous amount of work, is it worth it? You can tell me. Your husband isn't listening, nor is the rest of the family. And even if they are, they may not recognize your voice. Do you have sort of, like I feel before my three times a week workouts, I utterly dread the workout but then I'm happy that I did it. Is the same thing apply for Thanksgiving, I guess, and by extension Christmas, that you do it, dread it, and then you're happy that you did it? Or it's more of a burden than anything else? And again, the question, do you, is there a male-female difference in reacting to the very holiday? Oh, my husband loves it. Do they still have the bowl games on on Thanksgiving? They, they do? Yeah, but they don't have the bowls that I had bowls. I had the sugar bowl, cotton bowl, orange bowl, and rose bowl. What do you have? I know they've changed. I mean, there's... Oh, there's now NFL games. It's not college? No, it was always NFL. It was always NFL. On Thanksgiving? Yeah. I thought it was always... There weren't the bowl games? Oh, New Year's was the bowl games? Okay, I blew that one. Okay. Oh, so the NFL has Thanksgiving. So when did the NFL players... I missed it by a lot, actually, now that I think of it. Yeah. Oh, so you're right, of course. Uh, the New Year's was the bowl games. That's right, of course. New Year's Day parade, Rose Bowl parade, everything. Um, so the husband, is this, am I at all depicting your home that you do, you the female, you prepare the elaborate meal, you clean up after the elaborate meal, and he's watching a football game. Uh, I, I, I'm only laughing because it's it is uh, it is lopsided. On the other hand, he may be a great husband, provide beautifully, and this is a sort of gift to him. I I'm I'm not diverse to that idea. But how how does it break down in your home, male female? with regard to Thanksgiving. Last hour we talked about do you dread Thanksgiving dinner because of the fighting that will take place. And I learned that it is often fed by, nourished by alcohol. 
is there a male female i don't there's no male female difference on alcohol so i'm not going to even ask that question but is there a male female difference in regard to even looking forward to the holiday One eight Prager seven seven six eight seven seven two four three triple seven six West Saint Paul. I never heard of West Saint Paul. I've been there so many times. Vicky, there is a city. Hey, there's a city West Saint Paul. Yes, there is. Oh. I live in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, my husband is very very easygoing. You're lucky. And I just thought, I know, I know I'm so lucky because <laughs> I come from a family that was very, I was, I was abused a lot. And so I'm not trusting. And he puts up with me. You know, I have all these problems and he puts up with me. He doesn't complain. So I know how lucky I am. <laughs> As far as Thanksgiving goes, he, I joined the family last as far as the children getting married. So I'm kind of at the bottom of the list, you might say. And so we go over to his sister's in-laws or his brother's for Thanksgiving. He is there. He really looks forward to it. And I dread it because I'm always ignored. If I try to talk, they're not interested in what I have to say. Um, Does he acknowledge that? No. No. So he's, he's not that easy. Though. Like I said, <laughs> no, he is very easy going because I don't give him a hard time about it. Um, Wait, if you say, honey, did you notice that nobody pays any attention to me? And, and he said, no, I didn't notice. I'm not blaming him. I'm just uh, trying to clarify. No, he doesn't notice. He doesn't notice. He so, but fine. but this happens year after year, in, according to you. Yeah, it took about twenty years for him to finally notice. So I'm curious. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. So, do you think you're ignored because they don't like you? Because you're female? Because they're all narcissists? Or, or, what? What? Because what is your reason? His sister-in-law played the clarinet, and when I married him, I was a professional clarinetist, and she thought she was the best clarinet, and that was her niche in the family. And all of a sudden, I was there, and I overpowered her niche, and there is a problem. I think on that reason. Well, I played professionally for pit theaters, for professional right. theaters. Right. Okay, right. you never know. Well, thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, I will admit, I never felt ignored at the table. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's a silly comment. I, I don't have the personality that tends to elicit ignoring. I, I acknowledge that fact. Although I will tell you, and anyone who is with me in, at, at any of these functions can acknowledge, I make a big effort not at, 
all to dominate conversation. And I, uh, my, my modus operandi in conversations at, at any such function is to ask people questions about their life. I, I deflect as much as possible from my own life. Partially because I'm more interested in others' lives, just and partially because I'm a public figure, so I'm very wary of it. Phone number is one eight Prager seven seven six. Thanksgiving is tomorrow. How does it work out between the man and the woman of the house? Does, does one of you enjoy it more? Does one of you dread it? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. All right. Let's see here. Barry in Fort Myers, Florida. Hello. Hi, Dennis. Hi. <laughs> Pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Uh, but you're a little bit of you're a little bit of a troublemaker here. Uh, I will tell you, as at Thanksgiving, my God, that's when you thank you, you feel give thanks for all your blessings. Right. And uh, in relationships, this is the problem. In relationships, you're supposed to be the idea of a relationship is not what I'm getting out of it. It's what I can give to my partner, and and of course, it's returned to you the same way. This shouldn't be, uh, I'm, I have a scorecard and I'm getting more and you're getting less or I'm working harder. Because in other areas, the man works much harder than woman. But the idea is to please the person in any relationship that you have. Uh, that's why they want to be with you. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't look at it as negative. My wife used to love to cook. So she wouldn't even let me touch anything. I used to do the barbecue, but she, she just wanted to do it all. And she was so delighted that she made me feel good and happy and that made and and of course i i responded to that and made her feel good about all of the you know the blessings we have and the fact that she did all of that and how wonderful it was and that's what relationships are supposed to be about not who got more i like it if they can if a couple can do that if you enjoy bringing joy to your spouse you've got it made that's very sweet I think I think that that holds true for a lot of couples don't you all right let's see here Diane in Louisville Kentucky hello Good afternoon, Dennis. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Um, I have been married for over 40 years, and I have three children. And Wait a minute. Neighbor, you're married? How old are you? I am 60. And you're married over 40 years, so you're married in your teens. I married when I turned 20. Okay, so you're married 40 years. Anyway, it's a, it's a lot in any event. I was just curious. Yeah, go yes, ahead. All right. Yes, yes. Well, we celebrate our 40th in July, so mm -hmm. okay. which is quite an accomplishment in today's society. Correct, correct. But um, I am a pleaser, and I absolutely love to make things magical for my family. And um, ever since I've been married... Um, and even before, I would love to decorate, go all out, and just make whatever holiday magical. 
with food and decor and um I got more pleasure from doing that than the people that I was giving it to. I'll bump up 40 years to later where I am now at 60. I am ti- more tired. Um, I have different responsibilities. And when the family and hears me say that, oh, I don't know if I can do it, they will say, don't. You're just making the work for yourself. You don't need to do that. Don't do anything. We don't need it. I think there's a little bit of expectations that I created that they really don't know what to do if it's not there. Um, they, because it's expected in um, a non... Well, I'm curious you know. about you. Do you miss doing this? I, um, yes, I do. It's just the physical. Right, I say. But so, but so, so you're, you're a little sad that you can't do it. You nailed it. Mm-hmm. Well, you make, nailed yeah, it. Well, yes. it wasn't detective work. It makes sense. So who, where, <laughs> where, where do, where do you have Thanksgiving dinner now? Um, we do it at, at our house. Well, so, and, um, how, but you don't you don't work at it like you used to, or people bring their own food. I still do exactly like I used to. But, and, but uh, not with, with, oh, so wait, so you said you oh, so what you regret is that you you can't do it as effortlessly. Exactly. Okay, I get it. All right, I salute you. Yep. It's true. Take it in while you can. The it being everything in life. Okay. Jim claims he is a rare couple. Orange, California. Hello. Hi, Dennis. Hi. Longtime listener and recurring donor to PragerU. Have to help the fighters. That's right. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're the only couple I know who fight over who gets to make the meal for our guests. Let me just say, before you continue, that is not a fight in the Prager house. Oh, good. (laughs) In other words, you're not involved. (laughs) That is correct. Oh, real quick. What are turkeys thankful for on Thanksgiving? Uh, One minute. I love riddles. What are turkeys thankful for on Thanksgiving? Okay, I, I don't know. What is the answer? Of, of vegetarians. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, that doesn't apply. Wait a minute. Why would turkeys be afraid of vegetarians? They get a reprieve no, no, no. on life. No, they're thankful for it. Oh, I'm sorry. The question, I, 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 I blew it. Okay, yes. Okay, that's fair. Thur- turkeys are thankful for vegetarians. Okay, go ahead. That's not us. Uh each Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve, people demand my smoked turkey. In fact, our big bird right now is smoking in our smoker as we speak. Uh, so I always do that and do a couple side dishes. Karen and his son doing other side dishes. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's um, not a problem as far as preparing the meal. Wait, and so I'll, I'll ask you when we get back if there are problems. No. <laughs> yes, we return in a moment. 
everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, everybody. Dennis Prager here. It's it, it, it's a total coincidence, isn't it? That this is the subject of thanks and Thanksgiving is coming tomorrow. Now that I think of it, it is in a completely appropriate subject. Oh, it was released this week for that reason. Okay, can I take that back? I think we should restart this hour. That might have been the least perceptive comment of my 40-year career. (laughs) I am internationally embarrassed since my guest is in the Netherlands. Anyway, so it is fitting. (laughs) Quite fitting. This week's release at PragerU is given by Professor of Economic and Social History at Leiden University in the Netherlands, Jeff Finn, F-Y-N-N, Paul, Finn-Paul, and he is uh, uh, gives the presentation. It's this week's video at PragerU, Did Europe Destroy Native American Culture? And given that it's Thanksgiving week, you, you know what? It wouldn't hurt, or as they say, where I grew up in Brooklyn, it wouldn't hurt for you to actually play this five minutes. They're all five minutes, our videos. At your uh, at your Thanksgiving table, it might it might be a, a fascinating conversation starter, and and kids, yeah, we'll run the first minute, and and the kids at the table would benefit immensely. So here here is the opening minute of the video up at Prager. You again, did Europe destroy Native American culture? Let's say Columbus and his flotilla of three small ships never made it to the Western Hemisphere. Do we imagine he would have been the last explorer to head west from Europe, looking for a new trade route to India? Of course not. Once the New World was discovered, the maritime European powers, England, the Netherlands, Spain, and Portugal, had a strong motivation to establish colonies. If they didn't, they'd be at a competitive disadvantage to their rivals. It's human nature to move toward new opportunities, often in frantic, haphazard ways. Think of the California gold rush. No one convened a conference and said, how can we best extract gold from the American river without disturbing the natural beauty of the land? No, masses of people rushed into the area at the first opportunity. So it was with the discovery of the new world. As soon as word got out that the world didn't end in an abyss somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, Fishermen and traders sailed across the sea on their own in hopes of scoring a fortune. Yes, their superior technology and firearms gave them an edge over Native Americans in a fight. 
But who wanted a fight? Most of these early adventurers did everything they could to avoid a confrontation. Of course, no one anticipated that the natives would have almost no defense against the microbes that these adventurers brought with them. It wasn't planned, and it couldn't have been prevented. It just happened. All right, we'll stop it there. It's really, really riveting opening to such an important subject. Professor Jeff Finn Paul, professor in the Netherlands. By the way, a, a completely irrelevant question, but one that I'm curious about. Is it true that the Dutch prefer to be stated as living in the Netherlands rather than Holland? Yes, exactly. Holland is one province in the Netherlands, so people from the other provinces get a little bit uh, affronted, I suppose, if you just call it Holland, although most English speakers still say Holland all the time. Well, I didn't know that. Did you know it was a province in the Netherlands? That's So that's sort of like calling America New York. I suppose in some ways, yeah. Or the UK, England, sort of like that. Oh, okay. Well, uh, that's a better example, obviously, because it's more more realistic. All right, good. I'm glad I asked. That's how I learn. Ask questions, you learn a lot. (laughs) So that's why I I was uh, kept saying uh, Netherlands. All right, so you're a professor there. You've also written a book, which we featured on this show, Not Stolen, The Truth About European Colonialism in the New World. So... Let's begin with your opening notation, as it were, opening point in the video. I would like to ask those who are antipathetic to Western civilization uh, coming to the Americas, what do you think the right thing would have been, that no humans migrate to North and South America? What, What is their alternative Yeah. And do you want me to pick that one up? Yes, please. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just it. If the Europeans hadn't arrived, sooner or later, the Chinese would have arrived, the Arabs would have arrived. And certainly once the Europeans knew it was there, Europe was such a chaotic place politically that there was no power in Europe that could have prevented people from from going over. They would have just done it of their own accord. As soon as they knew, as I say in the video, that uh, there wasn't an abyss. I mean, of course, people theorized that the world was round, but most sailors were still afraid to go across the Atlantic because they had no idea how big it was. But as soon as Columbus discovered, yeah, you can get there in just a few weeks, that opened the floodgates. And what power in Europe could have stopped them? Basically none. That's another very important point. It, it It may have nothing to do with what we call colonialism. It was human nature. People go where where it might be better. I'm sorry? Yeah. And and it was just kind of chaotic as well. Yes, exactly. Governments had very little control. And you're so right. Somebody else would have gone. So the, the opposition to Europeans coming to America is... Is, is absurd. It would be like, in, in some ways, oh, you, you moved from California to Florida or from Florida to California? That, that's wrong. Uh, it, it's, it, it's almost analogous to that in, in the absurdity of it. Human beings go where opportunity it, it makes, makes itself possible. 
And remember, Muslims were going across the Indian Ocean and across Africa at the same time. I mean, people from all over the world were expanding everywhere. Yeah, so why is Indonesia Muslim? Exactly. It's a perfect example. Exactly. And in the old world, Europeans didn't even spread disease in a way that, that caused people to die out. So they thought when they went to the New World, it would be just like when they went to India, the Indians would still be there forever in large numbers. Oh, that does raise an interesting question. The, what, did they have antibodies to, to smallpox? Was smallpox the issue? I don't remember which. The, what was the big issue? Yeah, well... Basically, everybody in the old world was sharing the same disease pool, and that was 90% of the human population. So everyone in Africa, Asia, and Europe eventually got all of each other's diseases. So when Europeans went to Africa, they stayed a tiny minority because the Africans were immune to their diseases for the most part. But in the New World, it was another story. Did, did the Europeans realize at some point, wow, we've really spread a, a decimating disease here? It was one of those things that took so long, and most of it happened far from the frontier, that there were Europeans by the 1740s, let's say, in Virginia, saying, wow, there's way fewer Indians now than there were 100 years ago, but we really don't know why. So it was one of those things, there was just not the technology, people weren't gathering intelligence beyond the frontier. It just kind of happened, and, and it actually surprised everybody. Now, let me ask you another question, and I'm asking to learn. Sometimes I ask in interviews questions, I, and I think I have my own answer, but I don't have an answer here. How did the average European, or maybe average is not a good word, but how was there a European outlook on the question? Are the indigenous peoples of the Americas as human as we are? Well, once again, I mean, their main resort was, of course, the Judeo-Christian tradition. So Christianity taught them that everyone on earth was of the same race. So there, it's called monogenism. And the idea when they went over to the New World was they expected to find other humans who were essentially of the same race as them. So that's, that's one answer to the question. And today we tend to think of skin color and that white people were thinking non-white people were inferior. Well, back in the day, they thought that skin color only differed due to latitude. So they, for a long time, thought that Indians in North America were the same color as Europeans. I mean, it sounds kind of strange to us, but that's what they thought because they were so convinced that latitude was the only determinant of, of skin color and therefore race. Uh, another really interesting... By the way, I, I don't think, think anybody knows that. that. That's fascinating. Yeah, exactly. This is one of the major things I like to bring out in my book, one of the reasons why I was so happy to publish it, because people don't have any clue about that. Yeah, they, all right, so let, let me tell everybody, stay, stay with that thought. Uh, watch yeah. his video up this week at PragerU and read his book, Not Stolen. And this is riveting stuff, especially appropriate for Thanksgiving the video up this week at PragerU, we put up one every week, is Did Europe Destroy Native American Culture? 
and uh, the, the presenter is a professor at Leiden University in the Netherlands, Jeff Finn Paul, author of Not Stolen, The Truth About European Colonization, Colonialism in the New World. Okay, so we were, we were talking about uh, a number of issues. Did you want to continue on a point, or should I ask you more questions? Yeah, well, the other really interesting point about race that almost nobody understands today is that when they first arrived in the New World, Europeans were ready to see Native American chiefs and their daughters uh, to consider them a nobility. And so European adventurers like Cortez and then the guy who married Pocahontas and in Quebec this was also going on, married Native American uh, chief's daughters thinking that this would raise their social status and make them noble. So they thought most Europeans were inferior in social status to, for example, Pocahontas, who was seen as a princess. So if that's racism, you know, I mean, that's basically the opposite of racism. They thought they were socially superior uh, to most Europeans. So... I'm curious if we, if you you could speculate on this, could anything have been done which included the settling of North America by Europeans? Could anything have been done to avoid the amount of death that the indigenous people suffered? Well... It really depends. I mean, when you look at the numbers, uh, by far the number of indigenous people, uh, the, the majority of indigenous people who died, over 95% actually died from disease. So could that have been avoided? Almost entirely no. And then people say, oh, smallpox blankets. So Europeans were intentionally spreading disease. Uh, with blankets infected with smallpox. And in fact, we found one instance of that in all of North American history. So that's basically a lie. It's completely fabricated, and yet everyone believes it. So all those deaths by disease absolutely could not have been avoided. And then the number who were massacred was basically a tiny fraction, less than 1%. And, And what about the argument of the breaking of treaties with Indians? Yeah, well, I mean, that certainly did happen, but uh, oftentimes it happened a couple of generations after the treaty was established and often after most of a tribe had either died out or moved on. So a lot of the treaties that were broken were broken in much different situations, maybe a generation or, or more later than when they were first founded. So even then, there's nuance. But yeah, I mean, that was definitely one of the things that was could have been handled better uh, a lot of the time. How much intermarriage has there been, or was there then, really? Um, today, I'm sure it's a non-issue, but how much intermarriage was there between European Americans and Native Americans? Well, all you need to do is look at the population of Native Americans today, and the majority of them are mixed. Even by the 19th century, most of the famous chiefs that we know about were either half European themselves or they were married to Europeans. 
And then look at the population further south in Mexico, where actually half of all native uh, New World natives lived in Mexico. That population is about 80% mixed European and, and indigenous. So, yes, there was a lot of intermarriage going on. And, and, you know, people don't talk about that part. Yeah, that's why I asked about it. People don't talk about it. So I return to the uh, the original question. It, as I understand your answer, it was a non-issue that, generally speaking, Europeans totally regarded these people as as humans created in God's image as much as anybody else. Is that correct? Yeah. The very idea of a red man as a, as a separate race didn't really happen until the 19th century. So for the first several centuries of exploration, that's very much what people were thinking, yes. And the idea that they were inferior, maybe culturally they, they knew that, but racially there was basically no question. Now, what about other issues with regard to uh, the Native Americans, as they're called? By the way, do you say Native American or Indian or both? You know, I've just been using both of them because I actually found a lot of Native Americans who still like to be called Indians. And 10 or 15 years ago, even the most pro-Native American scholars and historians were just using the term Indian. So, 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And now the Cleveland Indians are no longer the Cleveland Indians. I And I, I, I it's about as irrational an idea... They're honored, and they still demand that the, the name be dropped. By the way, Indians didn't demand it. It, it, it was the woke, woke whites did. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So with regard to the American Indian or a Native American, did they have slaves? Right. Yeah. So we get into this question. I mean, yes, it, slavery existed everywhere in the world, in every tribal society, and Native Americans were no exception. I mean, uh, Cortez's main helper in the conquest of the Aztec Empire was traded to him by a Native chief, um, and she was a slave. And so there was a massive slave network all throughout the New World. This was standard practice when a tribe uh, defeated another tribe. They would usually kill the men and enslave all the women. And so um, most of the uh, you know, sl- Native American slaves in the New World were taken by Native Americans. I mean, easily 90% or more. Okay. I want you to watch his video up at uh, PragerU. Maybe reserve it for Thanksgiving tomorrow. Did Europe destroy Native American culture and read his book, Not Stolen? He's doing important work. Jeff Finn Paul, professor at Leiden University. Yes, this is so important, this topic. It's so important. Do you know, so my professor that I'm speaking to in the Netherlands is Jeff Finn, F-Y-N-N dash Paul. Jeff, Jeff Finn Paul, professor of economic and social history, Leiden University, author of Not Stolen, The Truth About European Colonialism in the New World, and he has this week's PragerU video. Did Europe destroy Native American culture? I don't know if you're aware, and for me to tell you something you're not aware of on this subject brings me great pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you probably know about the massive controversy of the football team, Washington Redskins, right? Yes, I do. Okay, so I'm curious if you know why the Washington Post, which was the hysterical crackpot cheerleader for that idiotic movement to change the name Redskins, which they finally prevailed, uh, they themselves had a... a very expensive, elaborate poll of American Indians, Native Americans. It turned out the great majority didn't give a hoot about the name Redskins. Did you know that? I did not know that. Oh, I, oh I, I, I didn't think you did. And listen, here is the, here's the, the kicker. It was commissioned by the Washington Post, the poll. They were so certain yeah. that they were right. Exactly. Yeah, no, but I'm not surprised because when I talk to individual native leaders, they, they don't seem to care one way about what you call them, Indians or, or whatever else. And so I'm not surprised to hear that. Well, then you will love this. It, it is many years that I'm fighting this battle not to change these names. A guy called me years ago. It's one of my 10 favorite calls in 40 years. He goes, Dennis, let me ask you a question. Because knowing I'm Jewish, he said to me, so Dennis, what would you think if a team were named the Jews? And I said, sir, Jews have been looking for fans for 3,000 years. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you could argue it's a PR disaster to change these names. Yes, exactly. That's right. That's right. They become a non-issue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the left has the, the, the great gift of not only being wrong, but stupid. It's a very, it's a very bad combination. So uh, you're, we were talking about the, the ubiquity of slavery, including among a Native Americans. So they would enslave, as this was the habit all over the world. You you won a battle, you enslaved the people you conquered. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, otherwise you have to kill them. <clears throat> or they would come back and attack you. So this way you get the best of both worlds. You get free labor. Exactly right. Now, one final thing, cause, and this this is a tough one, uh, for me at any rate. Uh, and I, I put it under the realm of tragedy r- rather than malice, but nevertheless. So the subtitle or the title of your PragerU video is did Europe destroy Native American culture? I mean, to a certain extent, I have to believe the answer is yes. In the same way that Christianity destroyed Celtic culture. It's that the culture that dominates wins. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Things did change. But they changed relatively slowly, and again, generally speaking, without malice. I mean, um, in Mexico, pockets of native culture stayed virtually, you know, untapped or unchanged for several centuries. Uh, Same in North America. Um, And so, yes, these things did change, but it wasn't even necessarily that catastrophic for individual generations because it happened slowly. And again, a lot of it was voluntary adoption of European customs. So to call that a tragedy when Native people are voluntarily adopting 
clothing, firearms, metal tools. And religion. And religion. And religion. Absolutely. All right. Listen, um, we're, uh, we're big fans of yours, Jeff. Jeff Finn Paul, professor at Leiden University in the Netherlands. His video, totally appropriate for Thanksgiving week. Did Europe destroy Native American culture? Up at PragerU and his book, Not Stolen, The Truth About European Colonialism in the New World. Jeff, happy Thanksgiving, and thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving, Dennis. Thank you. Oh, I don't think you realize... So I debate on these final segments prior to Thanksgiving, but I can't resist the stuff being said in the United States of America. We should be in a golden age, my friends. We should be in a golden age. But for the left, we would be in a golden age. But they hate golden ages because it makes them irrelevant. And it's not exciting. Tearing down is so much more exciting than the boring, getting married, making a family, going to work, going to church. God, it makes a leftist puke. The empty need excitement. That's a one-sentence explanation of the left. So here is Claire McCaskill. She is actually a former U.S. Senator, Missouri, uh, and now on MSNBC. A lot of people have tried to draw similarities between Mussolini and Hitler and the use of the terminology like vermin and the, the, the drive that those men had towards autocracy and and dictatorship. The difference, though, I think makes Donald Trump even more dangerous, and that is he has no philosophy he believes in. He is not trying to expand the boundaries of the United States of America. He's not trying to overcome a neighboring country like Putin is in Ukraine. He is not going for some grandiose scheme of international dominance. All he wants is to look in the mirror and see a guy who's president. All he cares about is selfish self-promotion. That's the only philosophy he has. She's stupid. I want I want to uh... I want to analyze the the reason I say she's stupid. He's more dangerous than Hitler, which is that's not just stupid, that's that's vile. The cheapening of Hitler's evil by the left is is one of its many disgusting features. But l- let's try to understand something. He doesn't want to take over a country. She could have added, he doesn't want to eradicate a group of human beings like Hitler did with Jews. He just wants to look in the mirror and see a grandiose figure. So let me ask this moron, wouldn't the world have been a lot better if that's all Hitler wanted? Let us say Hitler didn't want to take over Poland and Czechoslovakia, and didn't want to exterminate the Jews of Europe, but just wanted to look in the mirror and revel in what he saw, wouldn't the world be infinitely better off? Six million Jews would not have been slaughtered. 
because he'd be too busy looking into the mirror. The woman is an idiot. MSNBC is composed of idiots. You have to understand, not only is the left bad, it's not bright. These are intellectual lightweights. What she said is absolutely preposterous. You're more dangerous if you want to revel in your glory than if you want to take over a country? Oh my God. It's breathtaking. Breathtaking. Let's hear the next one. Who's the next one? Oh, Joe Scarborough and, and, and Mika. Yes, go ahead. I didn't hear this. I'm reassured it's deep. Responsibility to, to really to tune out the voices of of the haters of of the people that are constantly uh, double shilling and triple checking and shilling for him and suggesting Sick. that somehow they're being biased, bending over backwards, treating him like a normal candidate. He's not a normal candidate. He is running to end American democracy as we know it. He's an authoritarian who a, a court uh, in in Colorado two days ago ruled. That, that he led an insurrection against the United States government. He's charged with leading schemes to help overthrow the United States government. So, so if they want to frame it, uh, that way, that's fine. If, if you want to be fair, if you want to be fair, then you will frame this, uh, as, uh, Joe Biden being the candidate that supports American democracy and Donald Trump, a candidate who supports a new form of government here, this authoritarian. It's really that simple. And by the way, Reverend now when people go, oh, you can't compare him he to past Nazi leaders. You can't compare him to this past Nazi leader or that past fascist leader because he hasn't done that. Well, what hasn't he done? He hasn't done the things that the American judicial system did not allow him to do last time, but may very well allow him to do this time or... A judicial system that will be ignored by Donald Trump and ran over by Donald Trump to create the greatest constitutional crisis of our lifetimes. Just because he hasn't done it yet doesn't mean he won't do it when he gets a chance to do it. And if he is voted into office, then a lot of these people that are talking about literal or figurative or whatever the hell they're saying, you're going to look like idiots. Uh, because he will do, he will get away with, he will imprison, he will execute whoever he's allowed to imprison, execute, uh, 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 drive from the country. Uh, j- just look at his past. It's okay. not really right. hard okay. to read. Only, again, oh, there the you only go. Thing that stood between this is, people, almost half this country believes that. He will execute people. He was president for four years. This country was so much freer than it is under his hero, Joe Biden. There are political prisoners for the first time in American history. Thanks to the despicable Department of Justice under the despicable president of the United States. And I hate to say that. I've never said that about a president of either party. He had four years to execute and do all this. He was stopped by courts. Really? The courts courts stopped him from executing Americans? People believe this? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. 
Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.